Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. And with me today are sports writers Bucky Dent and Les Winkler. So, uh, Game 5, Cardinals-Braves. Is it, a, is it a win for the Cardinals taking the Braves to five games? No. No, they should, they should have it in the bag already. You thought they should have already won the series. Well, they, they should have already had it. If uh, They won an extra innings, and then they won by one run in the first game, and right? they could have very easily won Game 3 if uh, Carlos Martinez hadn't left two fat pitches up in the strike zone of two outs in the top of the ninth for... Dansby Swanson a double off the wall and Adam Duvall to single in two runs that won the game. I mean, it works both ways here. The Braves could say, well, we should have won game four, and maybe they should have. But the Cardinals can very well make a claim. They could have been out of here already in four and watching the Nationals and Dodgers uh, duel it out in a similar game five death match in L.A. tonight. So this stuff works both ways. I mean, it's going to be a good game five. Flaherty against Fulton Nevitz. Um, I would guess very slight edge for the Cardinals only because it's hard to imagine Fulton Nevitz pitching much better than he did in Game 2. Flaherty pitched well, but he got beat 3 nothing. So we'll see what happens. It's all hands on deck. It's the best type of playoff baseball there is, a win-or-die game. Two things. I'd say the Braves are the favorites. Braves are playing at home. They've screwed it up at home so many years in a row here. They're... they're they're, and there's something to be said. They shouldn't even be too. in this series still, and and they're playing the Cardinals. Your point being, they already beat Jack Flaherty. Oh. What's your point? Uh, well, I, there's two points that I was going to make. Is I saw the greatest tweet in the world earlier this week. Some Cardinal fan tweeted that they, the Cardinals should not allow any pitcher other than Jack Flaherty onto the team plane <laughs> to go down there, and. You mean it wouldn't? You mean in his estimation, it shouldn't even allow Wainwright to fly down just in case that the, you know, they we wanted to reprise Game Seven of 2006 <laughs> NLCS against the Mets and trot out that curveball for Carlos Beltran one more time. I, I think the comment. I think the comment was uh, aimed at the, the inadequate performance from the Cardinals bullpen, which, yeah, I, which is which is understandable. And and second, my second point is, and it has nothing to do with the outcome of this series, but has there ever been a baseball player? Better with a name better suited for where he plays than Dansby Swanson. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you you, you, you know they, should, they it looks like I mean it sounds like something right out of uh, Gone, Gone with, the, with the, wind. the Wind. Yeah, I know it's just like <laughs> frankly, that, my that dear. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> frankly, my dear, don't bring in Carlos Martinez again. <laughs> <laughs> frankly, my dear, Dansby Swanson's killed the Cardinals yes, this he series. Has. He's been marvelous. He's been unbelievable. <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> and by the way, what about the Rays taking the Astros to five? I love how surprised people are by this. And yeah, the Astros are a terrific team, but Tampa Bay was a 96-win team. It's not like there's some 84 and 78 scrapper that got in on the seat of its pants and is playing out of its rear end right now. That's a legitimately good team in Tampa Bay. Well, you know, and, and baseball is baseball is a totally unique game in in the fact that a short series, if you get three good pitching performances. You can you can beat a team that has much better uh, much better personnel than you just because just because you get three strong pitching performances. So, mm-hmm. ba- ba- to me, baseball is the most unpredictable of the sports. And you know why that is? Because it's the only game where the defense controls the ball. That's right. 
And you can't run out the clock. Yeah, Earl Weaver once said in terms a lot less colorful than I'm going to use here, <laughs> you got to throw the ball over the plate and give the other man his chance. That's right. He added about three or four descriptive adjectives and a couple of <laughs> qualifying nouns to it. But <laughs> Well, that, that's why I've been surprised that the, the Astros ha- have gone this far. I mean, I th- obviously I th- Tampa Bay has won 96 games, but when you're throwing Justin Verlander, uh, you expect to win the game. No, yeah. matter, no matter where you're throwing it. But he threw on three days rest yesterday. And, you know, it, those people don't really exist anymore. I mean, you know, you used to be able to, you know, maybe you could get by with it with a Bob Gibson or maybe even a Randy Johnson. But today's today's pitchers, they, I, you know, you're not geared for that. And when we're talking when we're talking 30, 40 years ago, it's not necessarily that those guys were greater warriors or whatever, but most teams went with four-man rotations in those days too. So you, you pitched on a one-day fewer to Rest. quote Earl Weaver again, the reason that you have a four-man rotation is that you don't give starts to a fifth guy who's not as good as the other four. <laughs> you know, and, and it was hard to it was hard to bypass that logic at the time, to be honest with you. And I still think if you train guys in spring training, like, hey, we're going to go with a four-man rotation, and we're going to get you ready to throw on that fourth day. If you did it and you adhered to it. I think the first team that does that is going to gain such an advantage from doing it to being able to keep one less bullpen arm and have one more position player that can help you win a game. The team that's willing to go against the grain and not give a fadu about the criticisms you were going to hear over it is going to have such an advantage one day, it's not even going to be funny. But I doubt we'll ever go down that road again. Since you brought that up, baseball has become such a... To me, managing baseball has become a paint-by-the-numbers game. Yes. It's, there's no room left for creativity. It's like Carlos Martinez was absolutely horrid in game one. So the Cardinals face uh, in game four. Martinez is horrible twice, but if, if, if you don't bring him in, you're defying conventional wisdom, and then say Gallegos comes in and he coughs it up. Well, Shields going to be excoriated one way or another. If Martinez stinks, he's going to be hollering. He's going to be uh, getting screamed at because his performance was horrible the last few games. He brings him in. Yet the same people are going to scream at him if Gallegos comes in and coughs it up because he wasn't the closer. And and Mike Shannon was making this point during the ninth inning on Monday, where he said. Basically, in so many terms, you dance with the one that brought you, and he did save 24 of 27, in effect, in effect defending the reasoning for putting Martinez in, even though he clearly has not been anywhere close to his best in the playoffs. And in a win-or-die situation, sometimes you need to consider that. And But I, baseball is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially in October. Right. Well, it's Cardinals and Braves, uh, 4 p.m., I believe, today. Is it on Fox or is it on the TBS? TBS. Yes. TBS. And the winner of that will await the winner of the Nationals and Dodgers. So uh, prep football again this weekend, uh, week seven. A um, couple good games this weekend. A lot of good uh, home games, but uh, I'd say, you know, Carbonell going to Altoff, probably going to be able to get that one. Uh, Marion's playing at home, probably going to get that one. But what do you, what do you think, uh, Sparta at Carterville, Johnson City at Carmi? What, who do you think uh, will separate themselves a little bit in the in the? I know Carterville's not in the diamond uh, anymore, but Sparta, Carterville, 
John City, Carmine, all four of those teams need a need a victory this week. Yeah, and, you know, Sparta and, and Carterville need their victory for different reasons from Johnson City and uh, Carmine. Both Sparta and Carterville are one and five. Neither is going to the playoffs. But it's going to be really interesting to see how Carterville follows up a terrific effort against Nashville, where they're down twenty-eight to three after a quarter. Almost won the game. They were within 41-38. Had a couple of chances with the ball to win. One got turned away in the interception. I think the other one, the time, simply ran out before they could get anything else going. But it's going to be interesting to see how Carterville can follow it up against a pretty beat-up Sparta team. You'd like to think at home Carterville can win that game, but with 17- and 18-year-old kids, you really never know what's going to happen. The other game you mentioned, Johnson City at Carmi. Johnson City announced themselves as a as a team that intends to be a player in the in the playoff hunt the last few weeks. Solid win over Spar- or over Cesar Valier, and Johnson State deserved to win that game because they were the better team for most of three quarters before Cesar Valier got it going at the end. And Austin Brown introduced himself as a potential star in the making over the next couple years, ran for 141 yards, threw for almost 100, and should have thrown for about 200, but he had three touchdown passes, two of which would have been 50 yards or more dropped by his receivers. It was a brilliant performance by Brown. And Johnson City at 3-3, three and three, if it wins this game at Carmi, pretty much would clinch its playoff ticket the following week if it would beat CZR at home. So huge game coming up for both Johnson City and for Carmi, which is also 3-3. Three and three. You know, it's what the interesting thing that's happened over the last two or three years in prep football in this area to me is the the stratification of teams. It used to be the, the diamond particularly seemed to have the haves and the have-nots, but that's also that's also now bled over into the South Seven, which has Carbondale, Marion, and uh, Cahokia. Cahokia right now are are the haves, and the other three teams just aren't very good. It's happening in the SIRR uh, Mississippi, where you have uh, DuCoin and Nashville at the top, and the rest of the teams are. Also, Rands, and in the same way, and it's the same way in the uh, Ohio. In, the, in the Ohio, and it's there doesn't seem to be that that team that's kind of in the middle right now that is capable of pulling an upset. I mean, it, I mean, obviously, obviously, there are some that happens, and and like when the bottom rung teams get together, you're going to not be able to pick some games, as as you can tell by looking at my totals on in the prep pigskin picks. But you know, a lot of the when when you look at our pigskin picks every week, how many games are unanimous across the board? I mean, it's it's pretty amazing, you know, how, how many teams where everybody just says, okay, this is almost automatic. Now, are we wrong? Uh, Johnson City proved us all wrong last week. Yep. Yeah. But in in, the, in those games where it's across the board, I, I would say we're probably ninety five percent accurate on those. <laughs> Tell you another team that's proved a lot of people wrong from the outset is Benton because. There weren't many expectations outside the Ranger locker room, but they're six and zero. They've outscored their opponents two hundred and forty-five to fifteen, I think. And in their win Friday night over Harrisburg, Keegan Glover set what appears to be an all-time Southern Illinois record with seven touchdown passes in a game, and he did it in less than three quarters to boot because he didn't play the fourth quarter. Glover has sixteen touchdown passes on just seventy-nine attempts this year. You talk about efficiency. <laughs> The, That's it. The the only and I've seen Benton play and b- between Glover and uh, uh, Butler, the running back, well, what's his first name? Tyler. Tyler Butler. Tyler Butler. He he's a horse. He he, he can play, but the, still that nagging thing. I added up their opponents' win totals yesterday, 
and through six games or six weeks, their opponents have won a total of sixteen games. You know, and and, there, and here's the thing about it: Benton looks the part of a team that's a really good team. I'll, I'll, I'll say that physically, they pass the eye test. They can do anything you want offensively. They're quick to the ball. They don't miss a lot of tackles on defense, and they have a good kicking game. But it's like we were talking in there yesterday. If you talk about football schedules as a diet, <laughs> and, and granted, this is not their intention, I'm sure. It just happens to be a year where the teams they've played have either been rebuilding or just come up bad or whatever. But their entire schedule has been a diet of ding-dongs. I mean, that's pretty much the only way you can put it. I mean... It's just one of those years where they're really good at the same time that most of the teams have been playing have not been very good, and that's why you wind up outscoring people 245 right. to 15. That's why I want to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, it, 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 it will be interesting to see them and Frankfurt and Fairfield. Fairfield's given up uh, eight points all year yes. through six games. It, it is going to be interesting to see them step out of – Southern of Southern Illinois, and you know, see how they're comparable to other areas of the state. It's it's it is it's it's always a fascinating thing. But this year, I think, is going to be particularly illuminating. Yeah, and the other thing that happened that's going to happen this week is as the Murphy Burrells teacher yeah. strike continues to uh, drag on into its second full week, the Red Devils will have to forfeit a game to the weakest remaining team in their schedule, Harrisburg, which will make them four and three in their two remaining games if they get to play those are probably against the two strongest teams on their schedule after Carbondale, Benton at home on the 18th and at DeCoin on the 25th. And they're going to need, I mean, right, because they can't even practice. Right. They can, they can work out by themselves, but they really can't even have an organized practice during the strike. So if they don't get it settled by next Tuesday, it would be dangerous for them to play well, the, possibly next Friday. And, and they, need, they need to win one more game to become playoff eligible and looking at their schedule, they may have enough points to, to, to squeak in. It's going to be close. Yeah, the, the thing that they have in their favor, a lot of other teams around here do not, is that they've played, played Carbondale, which is going to win at least seven games. They're playing Benton, which is going to win probably eight games at least. They're playing DeCoin, which will probably win anywhere over seven to eight games. You know, and that's something a lot of teams around here simply don't have this year. And the, the rest of them will be split up among the conference teams, so they're going to get they're going to get a win from one of the and teams. And I shouldn't leave out West Frankfurt in this equation right. because there's a good chance West Frankfurt will win at least seven games, yeah, too. So, so, so that's almost enough right there to get them. They'll be close. Uh, well, and, the, and, and Bucky was probably getting to it uh, before I interrupted him, but uh, there's a possibility that the state may be looking for five and four teams to play in the postseason because the yeah, it, Chicago it, Teachers Union is going on strike next week. Uh, if they don't settle, uh, 17th is what their strike date is. 55,000 kids in the Chicago public schools, probably at least half of the high school football teams are in Chicago, right? Uh, at least two-thirds. I don't know thirds. about half, but enough of them to where it's going to make a pretty serious yeah, impact was... in the, on the playoff picture. So I, I haven't what looked at... look for four and five teams? I haven't looked at the rules. If you're ineligible, then I guess you just go to the next team, I guess. But it, it, knocking out that amount of teams, if that's what happens... You may have to be put in five and four teams, or do you have to well, the, reduce the, way, the amount of playoff the way, teams? The way the, way the, the way the playoff rules are written, you become playoff eligible at five and four, unless, of course, you win your conference, which... Oh, I thought it was six and three you become eligible. No, you... Or eligible. Six, six, six and three, you're guaranteed. Five, six, yeah, six you clinch. Five, five, you have to be eligible. Five wins, you're, you're right. eligible. So. You're right. 
so yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting thing. I and that could, you know, let if they do get the Murfreesboro teacher strike settled, that, you know, maybe <laughs> that's kind of a kind of coincidental justice, but uh, our ironic justice, one of the two. But yeah, you know, and what what if you have four and five teams in because of this? I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you got to plan for it. I I don't know if they, if they're if it's written in that they can. The way the, the rules are written, I'm not sure they could do that. So maybe they would have to award buys to 9-0 and o teams, too. Mm-hmm. That Which would be an, another scenario. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty much – I would imagine the situation up in, uh, up in normal right now is pretty fluid at the IHSA okay. offices with that. Hmm. That might be a phone call we need to make. That's a good point. Yeah, that, I've – I. Can't remember. It, it's been a couple of years before that that union was on strike, and and hopefully they they settle before that or, or pretty quickly after that. But that's to, the timing of it. You know, the middle of October is particularly challenging for the IHSA um, and for their football teams uh, up in Chicago too. Uh, SIU is back at home this week. They played four of their first five games on the road. I, re- I really think they've played the toughest part of their schedule. So now they get uh, a really uh, wounded Illinois State team that is ranked 13th in the country, uh, largely because of their defense. Their defense has been pretty good all year. They've lost uh, two of their best receivers, possibly a third as well for the year. They're, uh, they still have an excellent quarterback in uh, Brady Davis and uh, a lot of returners on defense. But I, I think this is a winnable game for SIU. The next two weeks – well, if they can split the next two weeks, possibly even sweep the next two weeks, um, they play Youngstown for homecoming next week. They uh, they were able to play a little bit better at home. Uh, their one home game uh, against UT Martin that's actually turned out to be a pretty good team. You know, can you can they? Do you think they're that far away, uh, less from playing a little bit better if they get Jeremy Chin back? I you know I just haven't just that one well two games I saw the opening game at Semo which is. Um, you know, to me, that looks like one of those games where it's it's like uh, gymnastics scores where you throw out the high score and the low <laughs> score. You you really don't know what what to take away from that game. And against uh, UT Martin, they did they did look much better. Um, and, and you know, and just playing on the road, I mean, it's just kind of inconceivable that we're talking middle of October and they're playing their second home game. I mean, that that's just that's just kind of crazy. So I I'm still. My, my concept of what this this team is, the possibilities, the the, the upside, the downside, I'm, I'm still a little up in the air on it. Uh, I, I, they seem to be um, uh, coalescing around Corey Lyles, a quarterback, a little bit. Um, it, you know, losing D.J. Davis is, is obviously a, a, as many threats as you can have in the backfield, you, the better off you are. So, mm-hmm. um, And it, it appeared as if... Um, uh, South Dakota had adequately uh, scouted and uh, made Javon Williams uh, less of a factor. So, you know, to me, the you know, it's it's almost halfway, but it feels like the season's still young for them. Yeah, and the fact you're getting back-to-back home games has to be a huge plus for them. You know, Illinois State in a weakened condition. It sounds like a game where they have a shot. I kind of I kind of get the sense if they were to somehow win these next two games, the schedule might line up for them. To make a little bit of a run before the season ender, of course, with North Dakota State, the 800-pound gorilla of the valley <laughs> when it comes to football. So, but got, it's time to get something done if you're serious about having a winning season or making a playoff push or whatever. And it's got to start Saturday night. Well, you know, and you know, you, you talk about you know these two are winnable games, and I mean, you look at uh, 
you know, they're still um, – they do play Indiana State and Missouri State, correct? Yeah, they've got four games after these two against teams with a losing record currently, and we'll probably have still have a losing record when they play them. Right. And, you know, I, I, know, Indi- row. I know Indiana State has been a disappointment. They, they figured they were going to be much better this year, so – you know, maybe you know, maybe this is the year SIU to take a step forward. You know, and the first step is the first step is Saturday. And here's the other thing too. I don't know if anyone's talked about this or not, Todd, but I just remembered last year Illinois State beat SIU something like fifty-one to three. Correct? Yeah. I think it was is, is that first. a motivational factor for those guys this week? I mean, just besides the fact they just want to win a game in the conference, you know, are they looking back at fifty-one to three and saying this is our time to make a statement of sorts to exact a little bit of revenge? I'm sure they'll look at it, but the, it's not. They're two, two two totally different teams. I mean, they, their defenses are much better. Their defense hung, kept them in games where it just simply didn't do that last year. A different quarterback. Um, Different, you know. I think they're a little bit more focused on the run game. They were pretty focused on it last year too, but they were going in there even more wounded than they are now. I remember that going up to normal, thinking I was hoping they would keep it within twenty because Illinois State was on fire at that time, and you know, obviously they covered the spread that day. You know, put up 50, 50 58. But that, yeah, that's it, it's. I'm sure it sticks with them, but. I, you know, you can't compare those two teams wants, to this one. The spread wasn't 50 points. <laughs> Who wants to hear that you had SIU in 45 and didn't cover anyway? Well, I, I mean, at that time, I, I don't know, remember specifically who was out, but SIU was missing. I mean, they were down six defensive backs. I know that, you know, and then the the quarterback was uh, was Straub and DeSomer, you know, much different than Correa and, uh, and Stone even. Um, I did not have a lot of confidence in their passing game at, at that time, but DeSomer was a unique, you know, unique threat because you could run the ball for 100 yards and throw it for 200. But you know, they just didn't have a lot of big play options other than Ralph Leonard, and I really think they do have big play options this year. They just have to find a way to get him the ball and protect a little bit better. Well, and than the they thing, did last week. Yeah, and the thing with DeSomer last year is he got progressively better with every game. I mean, when he when he when he first took over, he he was not much of a threat to put the ball in the air. It was basically going to be basically going to be a run or some kind of uh, right. But at, he, I mean, he did he did progress. But yeah, it, it was teams could pretty well stack the box against him, you know, in the first couple games. And it's a big game for Illinois State too, because nobody wants to be zero and two. They they have aspirations of 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 making the playoffs just like SIU does. The same for Youngstown State, who was undefeated until they lost to Northern Iowa um, last week, and they really haven't played anybody, uh, Youngstown State, but they uh, they're they're a pretty talented team. So I'm curious to see how they do this weekend, and then Northern Iowa's playing North Dakota State. That's the other big game in the league. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out. But SIU and Illinois State kick off at 6 p.m. Um, the basketball team kicks off. Uh, in two Tuesdays, not this coming Tuesday, but the one after that, um, they are not having a Midnight Madness with, with Snoop Dogg, as, as Kansas <laughs> did a couple Wrong days ago. Chalk, but uh, th- to talk about, I mean, to talk about just, uh, I'm sure Kansas was thinking maybe we'll try to get some uh, some some spark. Not that. I mean, Midnight Madness, Midnight Madness at Kansas is is about the biggest thing they have in October, anyway. 
So you why they felt the need? Big deal in Lawrence. Why they felt the need to hire Snoop Dogg to perform? Number one and number two. Why would they think he would do anything else? But he, what he did, brought some acrobatic dancers with some poles onto the court. If you're not familiar with this, and uh, I mean I'm. I mean, I like Snoop Dogg, but I'm I'm just like, why would you invite that onto a college campus? And then he's spraying money with the gun in the middle of the court when they're under investigation for possibly play, paying players to come there. You mean is, the optics aren't good? No, no, that's exactly what I mean. The optics are not good. You don't, and, you don't see that as a blanking middle finger to the NCAA? Surely I just I, I, I know SIU considered it, but they just I'm glad they decided not to do it. Uh, for that now, now Pittsburgh is bringing Wiz Khalifa. What's your favorite Wiz Khalifa song, Les? Is uh, it is I it like We Dem the- Boys, Black and Yellow, or See You Again? Which one's got the mandolin solo? That's the one I like. You know, you know. Are, are, you, are you saying he's like Sam Fear now? Black, Black and Yellow is a good song. Yeah, it's you know, it's I, I have you know no objection to bringing in whatever act you want for a concert because people are going to pay to see that. You know, but at the Midnight Madness type things, you're going to have children there. I mean, you know, it's one. It's one thing to have the college kids, but you know, if if you're dragging your impressionable ten year old daughter or twelve year old son here, and they're like, "Daddy, what are they doing on those poles?" You know, what are you going to? You know, how do you explain that? You know, Daddy, what's a stripper pole? (laughs) And and, you know, like Chris Rock says, and when you're when you're a dad, you have one job if you have a daughter, and that's to keep her off the pole. You know, and, and you know, and. You know, like I like I said, fine. If if it's if it's a concert and you're paying for that, you know, whatever. Do do what you want. Yeah. People are going to pay to see what they want to see. But when you're when you're bringing in kids and it's and it's open to the public, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, what are you thinking? Yeah, you know, seriously, what what are you thinking? But just remember, it's okay if uh, if Mark Emmert wants to make four and a half million dollars a year, or Jim Delaney wants to clutch pearls at making five point two million dollars a year. If California wants to uh, go ahead and allow athletes to profit off their likeness, we can't have that. By golly, yeah, but, I know. But but sure, let's let's bring in Snoop Dogg and have stripper <laughs> poles and uh, shoot off money, and that's yeah, perfectly fine. Go for it. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, Kansas's athletic director said that they they tried to tell. Snoop Snoop's managers to, to have a clean program. They put it at the end of the performance. Uh, did they tell him not to get high before? To- <laughs> perhaps, perhaps they did. I, I bet that was in his contract. And they, they tried to put it at the end of the performance, so they had all the I'm basketball introductions. <laughs> to be fair, put the put the basketball uh, productions early. So if you didn't want to stay for Snoop Dogg's performance, they they didn't have to. But what was John? I just thought is it terrible. I just Terrible idea. Just a terrible idea all around. That's not a good optics. So I hope Kansas learns from that one. But uh, uh, we'll leave it with that Uh, going into the weekend. Have a great week. Uh, Will Snoop Dogg be on the – on the uh, podcast next week? Well, we'll we'll try to get him up. We'll try <laughs> to get him up for it uh, for the we're, Little Egypt we're gonna, we're Sports Podcast. <laughs> we'll get some video for that too. If he's gonna shoot money at us. We need <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll take it. But uh, thanks for joining us. To subscribe to the Southern Illinois, and go to the southern.com or call six one eight five two nine five four five four.